Welcome everyone to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? Today we are joined by Steve Haskew, who is the Head of Sustainability and Client Engagement at Circular Computing. Steve, great to have you on the podcast today. That is my pleasure and thank you very much for inviting me to attend. Now, we talk a lot about the circular economy. Uh, in fact, we had uh, an event recently where we had an entire session on the circular economy and we talk about the challenges and the, and the opportunities. But your business, Circular Computing, is the circular economy in action. So I wondered, just by way of starting everyone off, can you just tell us a bit about your organisation and what Thank you. you. Yeah, so our organisation takes a once-used product um, it goes through a process of remanufacture, which is uh, one of the pillars of the circular economy defined by Ellen MacArthur of the foundation. Um, and it produces the product back to an as-new state, steady state for reuse. Um, and in principle, that sounds like quite an easy thing to do. But And, and if you're doing one of them, it's actually quite easy. But if you're doing 100,000 or 200,000 a year, actually, then you need a, an industrial process that is heavily thought through uh, from a technical perspective, um, but in principle, we're able to deliver without compromise to a new user an existing asset that that looks and works like new, a laptop computer. And how how did you start on your journey? Because I mean, IT and IT procurement is huge, huge business, and obviously with the pandemic, the 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 demand for this just increased exponentially, didn't it? So how did you actually start that journey and make it the business that you have today? Okay. Um, so we as a business are about 30 years old and we we were born off the back of, back in the day, there used to be a mainframe. So there used to be a big computer in the basement of buildings and a green screen on the desk. That was, the, that was sort of computing 1.0. And then the PC came to light, which is the personal computer, replacing the mainframe. Um, the problem with big business back then was what do they do with the mainframe? Because they had to they had a, an environmental responsibility to to dispose of the mainframe and then employ PCs on the desk. So we we did, we designed a a service that did that for for them because the mainframes were uh, consuming huge amounts of real estate space. They 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 deploy the PCs and they would literally have a floor full of green green screens and mainframe computers. So it was expensive for them. So we fixed that problem for them. Um, and then, then for the, I guess for the next 20 years, as hardware uh, was being developed off the back of software advancement, the manufacturers in software designed a product where older, older technology needed to be faster. So it created this sort of linear buying habit that then became three years with a three-year warranty and a three-year finance package. And it sort of created a, a behavior and a linear economy that, that wasn't designed out of intention. I think that's a, that's a worrying thing to say if I was to say that. I think the manufacturers who have, uh, like HP, Dell, Lenovo, Apple, who have created the technology from which we talk on today, they've done an amazing job getting us into, the, in, into a digital space. But by so doing, our behavior with them has become linear. And that's the thing that needs to change. And what we saw was in 2015, the change had gone got a complete 360. The world didn't see it and probably still doesn't, where, where once the mainframe was in the basement, all of a sudden the mainframe became in the cloud. And so what you can see on a laptop, you can also see on a tablet or a mobile phone. It depends as the user how you want to exchange with that data 
depends what you use. But for the last seven or eight years, we haven't changed our buying. Our buying behavior is still linear. That's what's going on. Um, and in 2015, we saw that that actually was a paradigm shift in this industry. That change had happened. We saw it coming. So we invested in a, a new factory and then spent the next seven years trying to figure out how to do what we do, which ended with a kite mark from the British Standards Institute in November last year, 21. That confirms, they, they come in orders every six months, and it confirms that the, the assets that come out of our production factory, our laptops, are equal to or better than, than new to a standard called BS8877, which is just a number, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a standard against which big buyers of IT now can get involved in the circular economy. The problem is, is if you buy something that you're not used to, like no one never got fired for buying brand new, right, in government or in big business. It's a safe place for everybody. That's just what it is. So for them to think about an alternative is risky, and they'd rather not take that risk. So the, the effort that we've gone to to, uh, to remove the risk from them is an, is an enabling component of the circular economy. Yeah. Brilliant. And and let's just, you know, that so you're talking about two things there. You've got the, the hardware, the practicality, you know, the, the actual machines that we're using. But also, as you say, there is this the cloud aspect as well, isn't it, as to where where the platforms that we're using to enable us to use the, the hardware is is also stored. So there's there's those two aspects there. And just talk a little bit here, Steve, about e-waste, because I think we talk a lot about waste generally in the environment around food waste and uh, waste from industrial waste. But but we don't talk enough about e-waste. Uh, and I remember doing some research when we were interviewing another guest on the podcast about e-waste. And it's it really is quite significant, isn't it, this, this, this challenge? The... So the, the global output of electrical waste is about 53 million tonnes, um, which is equivalent in weight to 4,500 Eiffel Towers. That's what the United Nations say. So, so it's a massive problem. If you, if you just think about domestically, you know, I've got, even I'm in the business, I have drawers with electrical stuff in that I can't bring myself to do something with, um, which, is, which is shame on me, really, because there is a value there. It's just like, it's just a, you know, it's like every other person, they've got this draw. If you then scale that up to, say, the, the big four consultancies, KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, say, to, between them, they have a million people working for them, all white collar, so they have, they have devices. So if they're doing a, a refresh every three years, there's a million somethings going in. And, and by design, there's a million somethings coming out. So the... The process of buying things going in is actually quite easy because they come from a factory and that, and that process happens. But collecting a million devices and then processing, the, processing those and keeping them out of a waste stream is actually a real challenge for the organisation. They have a, an environmental duty of care and a prospectus against which they're signed to, which will align to the United Nations SDGs and those sorts of things because the government who they work, they have contracts with, you know, insist that that happens. So they're all aligned. So below below the line, um, you know, on a Monday evening, I put my waste my, my trash can out, and on a, on a Tuesday morning, I've got, it's empty, and I bring the thing back in. Stuff happens to this stuff that I don't know what happens. I just know it gets done, taken care of by a facility. 
makes energy or off it goes. But within, within e-waste, you, 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 you've got to deny the asset going into a waste stream because there's huge value involved in the component technology. Yep. So part of our philosophy at Circular Computing is to have a zero waste. We don't use the word waste in any of our literature. It's, it's next-gen resources to be able to regenerate what's already been made into something else, to repurpose that item is massively important if we're, if we're able to affect change within the circular economy. And we say that a decarbonized future state relies on a circular economy because the majority of carbon output is at the production end. Yeah. But it's only fair or for the manufacturers at the production end to have a market that's going to pull from them. It's not enough that you push product into the market because they won't accept it if they don't understand the value of being a circular economy participant, a buyer within that environment. So the, the process of educating the market is at both ends of the supply. Right. Yeah. It is. So in terms of, I guess, you're an organ, I'm an organisation, Michelle's an organisation, we run organisations. What, what is the benefit I guess because that's what they're going to want to know, isn't it, of going down this route and, and doing their IT procurement from, from say, from your organisation as opposed to buying in you. What's the, what's the breadth of stuff that they will get out of that? Okay, so firstly, let's say, so let's just, let's just, let's say it was the, the top four, there's a million devices, and let's say I can save them 400 quid a device. Well, there's half a billion quid just there to save that they could invest into social programs or to building out some part of a circular economy. So they could do some real good with the savings they get from us. Um, they would, um, for every laptop that is not made brand new but is from a reuse source like circular computing, there's a 316 kilo benefit of CO2 on the production end. And to frame that, um, three laptops would be a ton plus minus. And to frame that, uh, a ton of CO2 will fit into 19,000 cubic feet. And to frame that, 19,000 cubic feet is the size of a three-bedroom house. So if it was those top four and they bought a remanufactured device, that's 300,000 tons of CO2 that is not being emitted as a result of their procurement. 300,000 tons is a, is a city the same size as Brighton. All the houses in Brighton where I live, that's the mass of, of, of um, CO2 comparative in, the, in those houses that has stopped being emitted to the air. So that's, if they're committing to net zero at, at, at the board level and they're saying this is the path for us and they're buying from a, a source that is not a sustainable source, then actually they're being very two-faced. Then they're not exploring heavily enough their commitment to net zero. They're doing it, they're, they're doing it on the... On the on the premise that they're working with existing client, existing suppliers that are linear and not so good for the environment in a place where there are better wins. Now, those suppliers might be doing the best job they possibly can, but there are better organisations. The new, the new entrants, you know, I think we're going to be disruptive, as, as disruptive as, um, as iTunes was to CDs and things like that. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, the circular economy space is very disruptive, and it will be, and, and, and so it should be, and rightfully yeah. so. And, so there's and, the, the finance and there's the CO2, zeroing out e-waste. Um, for every laptop, this is a big number actually, for every laptop made, it is incredibly water intensive. That's 190,000 litres of water to make one laptop. From the ground where the minerals come to the desk is 190,000. Now, for people in the UK who turn the tap on every day and water comes out, 
we don't really value water. But if you're in parts of the world where you die unless unless you get your daily dose, it's a big deal. So we we bang that drum. We we believe as a business that from a societal point of view, um, sustainability does not stop at the end of my my street or at the end of my town. It actually belongs to everybody. So yeah. we're kind of into the kind of global change. Um, and that's and that's why we like to speak on podcasts like this because it reaches a bigger audience. Brilliant, and I, you, you know, you're so right in that the resources that go into making these machines that we're utilising are so precious, aren't they? So valuable. I mean, I remember listening to I can't remember the podcast I was listening to, but somebody saying, you know, the cost of the resources if you were to go and buy, you know, the problem is we've almost driven the cost of these resources down because of the scale, because realistically, given if you were to think about extraction, like you say, the cost of that water, you know, the impact that that's having, these devices should be 10, 20, 30, 40 times the price of what they actually are, because we're, you know, we've marketing, I suppose, has has driven it down to make it all very, very accessible. There's another thing I just wanted to unpack a little bit there as well about what you'd said earlier, Steve, about the fact that we've all got these resources in our drawers and we don't do things with them. And and I can say I'm I'm with you on that. You know, I've got phones, I've got a couple of laptops, you know, and one of the challenges we have is, um, is the security aspect. You know, we're concerned that, that, how can you really clear the phone? How can you really clear what's on the laptop so that it can be sold on or reused? Um, and that is that security aspect. I mean, and that's just from a personal perspective. You can imagine, as you said, these big four with high security, you know, confidential information on their systems. That aspect is is that risk aspect is also a, a challenge, isn't it? What what can what kind of comfort levels or what kind of things are being done to address that so that there is this more uh, openness to to repurpose the machines and to get them reused? So I think the 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 bigger the organization, if it's if it's if it's one to many, that equation is easy to manage. Um, so there are, there's a part of industry called ITAD, which is IT asset disposal. Um, and that's the place where um, assets go to be sanitized. Um, so if you, if you imagine the MOD, you know, they, they have on the one hand security problems, on the other hand, environmental problems. So there, there, are, there, are, there, is, there are software that's been around for, for uh, 25 years um, that will erase the data off, off all data bearing devices. If you're doing that at scale, so if I'm doing it for, say, the MOD, it's quite easy. Mm-hmm. They send 30,000 devices somewhere, and then you have a process that does that. And, but if you have 30,000 different people sending you 30,000 different things, that's a different kind of problem. Um, but the, the, the challenges for the individual, and we are actually thinking about, about this in, internally at the moment, is how do we, post-COVID, work with individuals or small businesses where the big volume is actually in providing a, a service that allows them to walk in with their redundant IT, make it and, and it'll be sanitized and then go back into repurposing. What what can we do to help that? I suspect it might look like, I don't know, some some part of a town center where 
Debenhams used to be that no longer is. So, you know, where they're going to, they can just take their stuff on a Saturday morning or it could be to work and then we'll work with their employer. Uh, but it doesn't serve you the circular economy in terms of protecting the value, value retention. Um, does It doesn't serve you if you're just having your asset in um, a drawer. So it doesn't serve you at all or society or anybody. And that's, yeah. and that's something we have to fix because the volume yeah. of resources contained therein is yeah. huge. And I would happily, as I'm sure many would, you know, I'm sure there's a commercial aspect to this, but I think there's a lot of people that would voluntarily give up those resources. You know, if they thought those resources were going to do good, I know that, you know, people have had schemes before, give the, you know, hand in your phones, but there is this concern about the data that's yeah. on those phones. And, and, and so it's almost as long as there is that almost confirmation and that it's been sanitized as you said um then then i i there's almost that mindset barrier of of it's all got all my personal photos on it it's got personal stuff on it um personal connections bank information you know all sorts of things that we collect on these i mean they're, they're like our, our second brains aren't they that we're walking mm-hmm. around with and and um i think people would possibly donate them happily donate them i can only speak for myself i know i would but it's that there's a barrier to just giving them away because i just don't know how to clean them properly yeah so i think i think there's a service to be had there and i also think there's a in terms of maintaining a circular economy based based principle like a sharing economy yeah uh, there's there's all there are organizations like kiva i don't know if you know kiva it's like a crowdfunding platform that that, that aligns so, so a very quick story. I lost my mobile phone and I left it, left it in the back of a taxi and the taxi driver was kind enough to basically phone my wife. My wife phoned the phone and the guy said, so I got, I got the phone. He wouldn't accept any money. So I went to the, the crowdfunding site, site Kiva and there was a lady in Indonesia whose son needed a mobile phone to, to educate and she was $25 short of the total. So I invested $25 into that and she pays me back every quarter like, five dollars a quarter or something so I'm, I'm not i'm not disadvantaged at all and that made me think well if if you were prepared to donate your asset that you don't need but it has a commercial value yeah. there should be some way of going well whatever that commercial value is i'll i'll take 80 percent and the 20 percent will put into kiva and you can decide what part of society you wanted to go to it could be schooling or nursing or whatever it is in africa or something I think that would be really cool. Yeah, and that, that's a that's a shared value, isn't it? And that that shared value and paying it forward. And there's so many more organisations that are starting to think in that way. From from your business as a whole, what what have been the challenges? I guess uh, of of essentially taking on this absolute behemoth, <laughs> which is uh, circular computing. I I, th- I think Joe, the biggest uh, the biggest challenge the biggest um, the biggest challenge that we faced was our own sense of um, we'll build it and they'll come. Yeah. If, I'm, if I'm brutally honest, if we could turn the clock back seven years, we were naive. We didn't plan, didn't plan far enough out. Um, we thought the market was ready back in 2015. It wasn't ready back in 2015. And if I think about what's happened since then, I mean, the world has changed beyond beyond anything I could have ever imagined since then. So. We, were, we weren't ready as a, as a world. The world wasn't ready for us. We built this massive factory and we were kind of coming to market. We hadn't 
educated the market. We just thought, well, the market will want it. We kind of went around it the wrong way. So that was a that was that was our own our own sense of naivety was the first thing. Then then getting to grips with uh, perception being our biggest our biggest competitor. You know, people when they when they they go on our journey as a customer, and every single customer has to go through this journey with us to realize our value proposition actually is not that of a secondhand beaten up computer. They're actually getting essentially a brand new computer. It just comes from a uh, uh, a natural resource that has been once used before. If you think of it like that, yeah. So going through going through that, um, we spent far too long. Uh, as an organisation, trying to convince the wrong sort of customer that we were the right kind of supplier, all of the kind of like yeah, business plan 1.0, you know, um, we, we were a 25 year old business. We thought we had all the answers, and we didn't even have have the questions, so we couldn't have possibly have the answers. And we have we invested heavily in a, a, a marketing department going into onto the marketing theme. So marketing, we, we had things the wrong way round. And we were treading in the sand where no one had ever trod before. I and mean, even now we're still doing that. But we kind of, we're, we're, we're almost, we don't mind showing people our underbelly a bit. Yeah. Because we don't have the answers. And, it, and I, think, I think that shows an element of strength as an organisation in allowing people to prod and poke you. And it's okay people wanted to get to know your, your idiosyncrasies, you know. And you say, you know, he's the term sharing the underbelly. Do you do you work with other organisations, whether it be in your industry or outside your industry, where you share the best practice and your learning so that they too will consider this regenerative circular economy model? I think it's really important, isn't it, that you get learning from an organisation like Circular Computing on what not to do and how to, how to make this a reality because we, we need it. There is no other option. Circular economy is central to us, you know, eliminating the levels of waste um, and, and taking con- changing consumer and, and people's behaviours and organisations' behaviours. We, we, we do and we don't, I think. I think. So we are part of working groups uh, in the industry, industry side that are uh, the, circular con- uh, the Circular Electronics Initiative, which is a bunch of people like us that are trying to... Uh, trying to s- uh, steer the market into, into behaving differently. Um, so there are people on industry side that are keen to get involved that have understood the risks where we didn't take that time to think think those through. Um, but the if you look through a, a, you know, a traditional, say, pestle risk model, and you look at the political risk, the things that are driving a circular economy, the environment, the environment is, is one of them, but it isn't the only one. You know, if you think of 45% of all palladium, which is critical on the motherboard, comes out of Russia. So we just said, okay, we're not going to trade with you. So all of a sudden, the 55% that's left has to feed electric vehicles, wind, solar, has to feed all this building out green and the technology that we already use, mobile phones and laptops and so forth. So something has to give. Yeah. Um, Price will be one of those things that gives, but something will have to give. So... um, the the participants in in this in these sort of um, steering groups are are just trying to help people shape their behaviour really. And in you know it's interesting because I, I was reading about you know manufacturing and and particularly in in car manufacturing and this they've been stripping things down and reusing things for for decades, haven't mm-hmm. they? It's it's I suppose without really the customer 
ever really understanding that that's what happens with your car. You know, you don't really think about the end of life of the car. But of course, from a manufacturing perspective, because they recognize the precious aspects that go into the, the vehicles, they they take those vehicles back, don't they? And they strip them and they use the batteries and they use largely as much as they possibly can. And I suppose it's it's now making it overt to everybody that they have a role to play in facilitating the circular economy. It isn't it isn't that you know take make waste. It, it is it is actually let's give it back. How can we give it back? And and I suppose from a marketing perspective, this is where the circular economy and, and marketing intertwine because that communication piece of bringing your audience along with you so that they understand the role they play as an important and integral component of that circular economy. I mean, very, very basic. Back when I was a, you know, a tot, I used to take the the pop bottles back to the corner shop and get my two pence, you know, so I could buy my blackjacks uh, for half a pence each. You know, that's showing my age here on this podcast. But, but, but that was, you know, circular really with a bit of benefit for the for the, the for me the the the, the customer um, in action. Whereas I suppose sometimes circular is happening, but we're not involving the customer enough in the process and making them a com- a key component or uh, concerned enough that they actually have a really considerable role as part of the circular and regenerative economy. Yeah, you're right. And in terms of then the, the role, what role marketing plays, because uh, obviously this is very this is B two B. I mean, and B two B relies heavily on that that relationship and building that relationship and brand and, and trust. What role does marketing play in, I guess, not only raising awareness, um, but also you know ensuring that 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 organisations that you work with truly understand. The benefits and uh, you know and they too are buying into this circular economy as the future i think marketing is central to um the adoption of a, a quicker circular economy and i think it's fair to say that the circular economy is, is a generational play okay so it's not going to happen in the next few years, it's, it's a generational thing. There's too much at risk between linearity and it's not moving from you know from from fossil fuel to to renewable. So there's a bridge you have to cross, otherwise it's too dangerous. Uh, but we have to start moving across that bridge. It starts with the education, so marketing, the communications around it, the non-greenwashing. I think pe- people who are communicating in a, in a greenwashing way need to be held to held to account and held responsible. I think that's very dangerous to the consumer because it sets them on, a, on the wrong path, and we see evidence of that. I think that I think that the the marketing isn't just the getting the customer to the till part or building the brand part. There is a post sale element to to what we do, which creates um, in our land a, a very sticky collaborative customer. So we've taken you on this journey. You've agreed to do this. And now we're going to keep reminding you that what you're part of yeah. is much bigger than you. I don't care if you're the biggest customer in the, in the world. What you're now part of is bigger than than your organisation. And it's only by working with us as a collaborative partner, a strategic supplier, that you can help us all enjoy the benefits of doing what you do. So getting that into a marketing context and having everybody 
in your supply chain working in the same way from a communications point of view is critical. It is. It is. And also, you know, not only, as you say, that continuous, once, once they're part of your world, continuing that conversation with them, helping them to remain part of your world, and also co-creating you know, listening to that audience to to hear what other things that you need to be doing or could be doing or, you know, the other challenges. And I think there's often organizations and brands, we we forget the power of of you know what's going on within our with our own employee base and, and indeed our, our our customer audiences. They're often shouting out for solutions. Um, and sometimes we're just not listening. Yeah, when we we're doing we're doing case studies now with with some amazing people that, that not it's not about the case study is not about oh circular computing brilliant even though we are it's not about that what it's about is is we we make we we invest the time and resources in showcasing the customer and the, the decision that they've made to move away from linearity into the world of circularity and what that actually means to their business to their people and how how their DNA, if you cut it, if you cut it through the middle and you look into circular computing's DNA and the client's DNA, the integrity blueprint is maybe 80% good. And that's as close a fit as you're going to get. And creating that and having them then communicate that uh, on our behalf to their audience. So like you'll hear from the WWF who became a client recently um, and they're doing some amazing work with us. To have a customer say to their to their audience, to their people, yeah. their friends and relatives, we've done this because this is what we believe in. Yeah. And so finding people who believe in what you believe in, I think, is a critical thing, and that's where marketing really yeah. plays a part. Yeah, and it kind of propagates, then, doesn't it? It just it, it it becomes its own regenerative movement because it just propagates. You know, people share of yeah. ma- share of you know voice, share of uh, word of mouth. It just starts to to build, and, that, that. and that's what we need, isn't it? We need people talking about this, but talking about it from a place where they're experiencing it. Yeah, because you know, as as a I guess, if you look out of the circular economy and listen to someone talk about it in isolation, it all sounds brilliant, but until you actually involve in and working with an organization or you know to to your point of the service of where do you take that stuff that's in the bottom drawer that has a value to it and actually put an experience to people they can't really talk about it can they and 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 feel and see the benefits of it so i think it's absolutely critical if we are to move this vision of the future you know to being one that is circular more and more organizations have to share their experiences of it, don't they? Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think also what we're going to try and do is using WWF. We had an all an all hands uh, staff meeting with them. They gave us five minutes, which is brilliant. Is when we leave home, we we leave ourselves behind and we kind of become circular Steve. You know that we become somebody else for the day, and then we come home, and then we're somebody else for the evening. So if that is if that kind of runs true, is it possible that we can take the organization to whom they work to take responsibility for communicating that down into the veins of their organization and being a conduit between, let's say they're the conduit, let's say I can take my drawer stuff into work and then it's just taken care of by my work. Yeah. Because my work actually believe in what I believe in. And they want me to be a better me, and, and that will create a buy-in by the staff into the organisation. You get a much yeah. better behaviour from the staff, and 
I think that's probably the way forward in the short term is to get the the, the downward pressure from the organisations, which is great because the larger organisations are actually at the C-suite level. The chief exec wants to create that legacy. They want to make sure that they have equality and diversity in the workplace and they want people to feel good about coming to work for them. That's part of their day job. So we could move on to that story. Yeah, and I think, you know, we we talk a lot about how employees uh, want to work for organisations that align to their values. That's becoming a huge sort of headline within all of the what people want. But also there is this huge role for for organisations whereby if they truly believe in their purpose and why they exist beyond their products and services, they can change people's values. You know, if you go to a company and there's a role there, so it's a two-way street, isn't it? And then if you give them a reason to bring their drawer of stuff in and it, and it changes that, then that, again, that's where values change attitudes, which then change yeah. the behaviours, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think you have to make it easy for people. You do, yes, and if, they're being paid, if they're being paid to make it easy, yeah. then yeah. it's like a win. If it's at home and they've got their home problems and all that, you know, that all those worries yeah. going on, and yeah. you're creating, uh, you're making it like sludgy for them to be good. Yeah. And that's, even though they want to be, the path of least resistance maybe is an easy one to find. Well, I'm inspired by this conversation because it's, it's talks like this that enable me to kind of think differently about my tomorrow, really. And um, we don't have all the answers. And, I, and I'm, I'm you know, put my hand up and say, look, I'll show you my underbelly. Just, I don't know. But I, I, think, I think I could be part of the solution, whatever that looks like. Giving people that thought process that they go, actually, you know, we can be part of the solution. And we are. And that's empowering people, even if it's just doing really small things. And I'm reading more and more as we go into this you know, energy crisis and the cost of living going up and, and everybody feeling the pinch, no matter who you are. There's more and more coming out around if you change your behaviours just slightly, whether that's unplugging all those vampire devices that use 26% of your energy every year that you don't know about, or you set a timer and you, you shower for one minute less each day, that, that, is, that gives you as a person, you go, do you know what, I can actually start changing. Small change en masse is, is, has huge, huge value attached to it. And I think we, are, we need to push that even more. But um, I guess, Circular Steve, we like to ask all of our guests, uh, three quick fire questions uh, to wrap up uh, the show. So, our first question to you is Can marketing save the planet? I think the answer to that question is yes. Can it save the planet? Probably not. Is it part of the solution? 100%. Yeah, agree. And what do you hope business looks like, Steve, in 10 years' time? I would like to think in 10 years' time. Uh, sustainability will be the number one reason why people buy stuff. Although it won't be the reason they buy stuff, but it will be the number What Can I buy from a sustainable source? Do I understand what that means? And am I being asked to compromise for that to be understood in all quadrants? And if you were to give one piece of advice to others around, I'm going to say, getting started with either thinking about the circular economy part of their business or learning about circular economy, what would it be? that a lot of the solutions already do exist. You don't have to start with a blank piece of paper. So reach out to the networks, get involved in conversations like this. Um, reach out to people like me. You know, we are available. You just, you just have to be 
tolerance of our time and and don't waste it time is the one thing that i can influence only the, the one thing i can influence so as long as you're respectful of that and you want to you do want to make the change then there are people that will help you you know all over the place one of the key things that Gemma and I keep coming back to is the generosity and the openness for people to want to support and help and educate others with this endeavour. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this together, aren't we? So it's it's not a competitive advantage. Um, it's, it's really about how we can all support and help one another. And, and there is that real wonderful sharing economy when it comes to education around this area. So Brilliant, Steve. We'll make sure that all of your contact details and ways people can find out more about the great work you're doing, um, how they can contact you. And is there anything else, any other resources that you'd like to point our, our listeners to? We have a resource library at circlecomputing.com. If anybody wants to know about actually what we do and want to get involved with us, they're welcome to. Um, but, you know, Gemma and Michelle, if there's anything that you feel you want from me then you can you know you can eat back and ask so I'll, I'll leave it like that way around I think fantastic excellent well thank you very very much and the moment you have that solution to where I can take that drawer of stuff I yes, think please. Michelle and I will be yeah. first in the queue but I've got a few bags <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure it's been my pleasure thank you thank you 